You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Your subject this morning is mental health. Before Christmas, we did a thing called Making Disciples, and we tried to look at some issues that impact us. And I said, whenever there's another one-off, we've got John coming next week, I would like to tackle this subject. This is a subject that impacts all. Many of you will be aware of Prince Harry who admitted to having total chaos in his life for two years because he found no way to talk about his mother's death. Some of you will know The Rock. When you look at this guy, he's a very impressive physical specimen, but actually talks about his own depression and watching his own mother attempt suicide. Emma Stone, the famous actress, She had such anxiety that she would avoid going out and said she got into acting to try and help her cope with her problems. I honestly think the shock death of Robin Williams was one of my low days. A guy that I thought was such a great performer, Knight of the Museum, Happy Feet, Dead Poet Society, who committed suicide himself. Frank Bruno, one of our best British boxers, said this, mental illness is a very powerful thing. If it is with you, it's probably going to be there until the day you die. I'm trying so hard to break mine, but it is not easy. It is my toughest fight ever. And I guess you could start to say, oh, people are beginning to talk about this. Picasso, if you're into art went through what was known as the blue period. It was a result of a friend's suicide. Often the images are with heads bowed and dark colors as he tried to express his, how do you handle such grief? Some of you may not remember Picasso, but you've seen the recent artwork called Brave Words, a guy called Charlie Cliff, who took photos of famous people, and and they wrote on their face words that were going through their minds. Sue Perkins, the comedian and broadcaster who's involved in the Bake Off, was one who admitted, as a result of a brain tumor, of intense panic attacks and how it started getting to her. Now, that can all seem very famous and very out there, but we live in London. What about London? Well, I discovered these sobering facts this week. One in four adults in the UK will have been diagnosed with at least one mental health problem over their lifetime. One in four. Most of us, if you look down the row, that could be one or two people just in your row. 45% of looked-after children age 5 to 17, experience a mental health disorder. This is huge for the borough of Ealing. Nearly half of Londoners are anxious, higher than anywhere else in the population. Self-harm starts at the age of 12. Some of you are parents. It's not just the young. The over 65s, 10 to 16% of people are described as depressed. There are 579 suicides per year in London. And they reckon 80% of homeless folk on our street 
are suffering with one or more mental health issues. So I suddenly think, golly, it's, it's not just a famous thing, it's a London thing. And some of you say, okay, people, what about the church? What about Christians? Actually, I think it impacts us as well. C.H. Spurgeon, I've often quoted him. He was one of the most famous preachers in London. He used to suffer with depression despite preaching about the joys of God to others. Martin Luther, some of you know the great reformer who who put this thesis on the, the, the church gate. He actually had huge anxiety issues. Florence Nightingale, we always remember, don't we, the lady with the lamp. She battled with bipolar. John Bunyan, he wrote a book about Pilgrim's Progress, the Christian life, and yet he fought OCD his whole life. Rick Warren, we've just done his Transforming Prayer series. His own son, Matthew, committed suicide in 2013. This is not just the sort of, oh, well, it's a society thing, it's a London thing. What about the church? Let's get really personal. This has impacted my own family. When I was a teenager, my mother had two breakdowns and got agoraphobia and couldn't leave the house. I've got extended members of my family that have attempted suicide. Within my own family, we've had depression and the need to take medication and counseling. If we're really honest, it's not just an out there problem. If we're really honest, it's an in here issue. It is a very difficult issue to speak about. It's personal and complex. What would I love to do this morning? I'd love us as a church to go on a journey. I'm not looking to give simple answers. I would love us to start a conversation rather than feel I'm giving a final word. I'd love us to approach this subject, if I'm really honest, with humility and compassion. Father, we ask for your help as we look at this. Lord, we, some of us, to be honest, we've just done well getting here this morning. This is very alive for us. Some of us, it's our immediate family. It's affecting us day in, day out. Would you help us to get rid of the stigma? Help us to be able to talk. Help us to be open, honest, vulnerable, real. Help us to know as a church how we respond. Amen. I would like to suggest that we're actually all on a spectrum when it comes to mental health. I think the worst thing that we can do is think of them and us. The worst solution is to think, oh, we've got an answer and people in mental health haven't. I found this. Uh, In fact, this was associated with another Christian. Some of you would have remembered Sheila Walsh, and I know it came through her website, that actually everything's okay could be a number one. There's absolutely nothing wrong. You're enjoying cuddling a fluffy kitten right now. It's almost like life is happy. Right down to number 10, the worst mental and emotional distress possible. You can no longer care for yourself. You can't imagine things getting any worse. You feel I'm in crisis. If we're really honest, there's a scale 
And who knows where we are, where you are, on the numbers 1 to 10. Brad Hambrick, he's a pastor in the States. This quote is not coming up. He says, this disease implies a known and verifiable cause, but syndrome is merely a group of recognizable symptoms. So often when you look at mental health, we see recognizable symptoms. But how do we understand something of the cause? The dictionary. Mental health is a psychological well-being and satisfactory adjustment to society and to the ordinary demands of life. It's very easy to put a one sentence out there, but if we're really honest, those with mental health will probably relate more to the next picture, which means on the outside you're looking fine, but on the inside you're thinking, oh, help. Mental health is a life struggle that significantly, persistently impacts your ability to function. It is beyond a circumstance and a personality. Some are glass half full, some are glass half empty. It's beyond personality. It generally requires outside help, and often people struggle from several different angles. So, we're Christians. What does the Bible say about this? What answers, what examples can we possibly find in the Bible? Well, I would turn straight away to Psalms. If you know the book of Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. It was like the songs that we've been singing in many respects of the Israelites. About a third of them, 50 of them, are are what called laments, where people are crying out to God and saying, Oh, God, life is tough. Help. Most of them end positively. Even in my difficulty, I look to you. Psalm 88 doesn't. It's negative the whole way through. I was going to read it all, but I think I've probably been... Sober enough already. Psalm 88 goes like this. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and are cut off from your care. Many would say this was an individual lament, crying out to God, Oh God, I'm tormented. I guess another example in Scripture would be the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Many of you would know the book of Daniel. This king is proud and arrogant. This word comes. The king ignores the word from God, and it says in Daniel 43, immediately what had been said about King Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from his people, and he ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven till his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, and his nails like the claws of a bird. In many respects, it's almost describing a mental illness. This was the guy who was the king, who, who was powerful and ruled. And then suddenly there's this turning in his life. He is restored, if you don't know the book. Or maybe you'd say to me, Pete, if you're going to read the Bible, you've got, what about Jesus? What about the man that he encountered? We can read about that in Mark 5. An uncontrollable man that was chained because he self-harmed. But he received peace from Jesus. In Mark 5, it says this, For he had often been chained hand and foot, 
He tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. I guess even here, if I'm really honest, the Bible doesn't seem to say anything conclusive about how mental illness is caused and how it can be treated. I could pull out more and more examples. I should go through them as quickly as I can before trying to bring some solution. I think of Job. Job was a rich, righteous man. I do not believe it's a drama. I do believe this story in the book of Job where everything is taken away from him. And he says in verse in chapter 10, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. That is not a bad day. Mental illness is not just a bad day. This guy's gone low. What about the prophet? I mean, the prophet, he was a man from God, wasn't he? He was a man who had God's business. What about Jonah? Jonah, he runs from God. He's thrown into the sea. He prays. And if you read it, we haven't got time. It just talks about it. It goes down, down, down. And then in Jonah 2, he prays out to God. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. Sea was a picture of chaos and confusion and almost like out of control. The current swirled about me. Your waves and breakers swept over me. I love the fact that the Bible's so real, but it's quite challenging. I mean, let's be really honest. One of the 12 disciples could surely be included in this. We would know, would we not, of of Judas? Judas who betrayed Jesus. Judas who, you know, for, for whatever reason, took the money, handed over the Son of God so that he'd be killed, then felt such remorse. We can read, can't we, in Matthew 27, he literally went away and hung himself. He was deceived by the lie that death is better than life. It seems so confusing. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a great preacher in London. He was a Welsh minister and a medical doctor. So he's got two hats in this situation. He says this, Christians don't understand how physical, psychological, and spiritual realms interrelate because Satan muddies the boundaries. Many of our troubles are caused because when we think a problem is spiritual, it is physical. Or when we think a problem is physical, when it is emotional or spiritual. And so he's just admitting that there is confusion. The more I've looked at this topic, the more I think, why did I take it on? It is so complex. I listened to six sermons on it this last week. I've read a whole book on it. I've discovered that we have six medical doctors in the church, and I've emailed them all for their advice. I don't think I've ever studied as much for a sermon, and I don't feel I've ever felt as confused when I'm giving it. I felt two words come that I'd like to challenge us as a church on this whole topic. Care and hope. I know this sentence could get me into some trouble, could be misunderstood, but I do think there is a role for casting out, and I do think there is a role for counseling. But as a church, I'm going to suggest our first role is care. 
the old line goes, doesn't it? People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. I'm saying that as a church, I believe we are called to care. Again, I could have unpacked the whole sermon just on the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, who was the the enemy, the bad guy, it was the Levite and the priest that you think would do the right thing, whereas they go down the road and they ignore the robber, the guy who's lying in the gutter. But we read in Luke 10, the Good Samaritan story, Jesus told it, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took Pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus was challenging us. Will we care like the Good Samaritan? Will we go the extra mile? Will we go into what's personally uncomfortable territory? Will we pay a price? Will we go back and ensure there's more and more care? Kate Middleton, the wife of Prince William, as you know, the royals have been quite involved on this whole topic, says this, we've seen that two heads are better than one when dealing with a mental health problem. I don't think they're looking for individuals to grow a second head, They're looking for people to stand alongside them. I came across the Mental Health Access Pack. I printed out the first 60 sides of this, but didn't print out the whole thing. It is a very helpful tool for the church. It says in here, our role as a church needs to be the place that offers radical hospitality, hope, and family to those who are marginalized and stigmatized, just as Jesus modeled. Golly, that will be a challenge to us as a church, wouldn't it? This is our role as a church. If you are here and struggling with mental health, the most important thing you can hear from me this morning is probably this, go to your GP. I do think there's things that can be done in terms of sleep, diet, exercise, but go to your GP. Please don't walk out of here and think, oh, I didn't do that. Go and see them. And if they didn't listen, go back and see them again. But as a church, how do we care? How do we care? Well, I guess the first thing that I learned from the life of Jesus when the woman was caught in adultery was this. He's without sin, cast the first stone. They all left. It was just Jesus and the woman. We all struggle. We don't want to be a church that throws stones. I would love if you turn up at church and you admit you have an issue, that all you hear is thud, thud, thud. The dropping of people's stones, that they're not going to throw them at you, but instead going to reach out towards you. Surely the church is a place in London where we look for authentic relationships. We don't wear masks, but we love one another. As a church, how do we care? Well, I think we've got to learn. As I said, 
I sent out all these emails to these medical doctors in the church. I've looked at this mental health pack. I read this book, Darkness is My Only Companion, this week. I'd obviously done so much research that I don't know if you ever had this issue. One time my phone was left on the desk in the office and we're just sort of chatting away. And suddenly Siri says something like, I think you need some help. You're in a crisis. And Toby goes, is something going on? I said, I'm just doing research for a Sunday sermon. We do need to be those that learn. We do need to be those that persevere. Go again. Go again. I'd never realized this. I have had people, I try not to give examples of this church because you'll all now try and be sussing out, that have been sectioned in the church and been to visit them. I don't know if you've ever visited someone that's been sectioned. It can take half an hour often to get in because you have to sign in and then you go into this sort of gap and then they open the doors and let you into another gap and then they take you through to a corridor and it's a long process. And yet the book told me this week you should only stay for 15 minutes. But go again and go again. I think what does it mean to care? I think it means this, that we listen more than we talk. I used to be a primary school teacher. I told so many stories about this before, but one of the rules in my classroom was this. You've got two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. We've got to listen. How do we learn? Catherine Green McKnight, she's a chaplain and a priest in America. She wrote the book that I read this week, Darkness is My Only Companion. She said this, Friendship is very important for those with poor mental health. But it's very hard to be a true friend to someone in such a condition. Are we prepared to do that? There are a few things that we shouldn't therefore say. We shouldn't say things like pick yourself up, dust yourself off, put on a brave face, don't worry. No, we need to be those that go and listen again and again. I think we need to be a church that reads the Bible for ourselves and for those that are struggling. Again, it was fascinating, this woman, I've just quoted as a a believer, she was saying, I would get so low I couldn't read the Bible. But you know, if, if somebody came around and just read it for me, I loved it. I thought, oh yeah. I know myself, if ever I visit somebody in hospital, I always think, oh, could I just read a couple of verses? Could I bring something of the Word of God? We must be a church that prays. We've done this 40 days, transforming prayer. I know our groups will be praying for the next three weeks. You see, when we pray, God softens our hearts and increases our love for others. We must be a church as well that understands we live for the eternal and not for the temporal. I think the challenge so often with mental health is it just seems so painful. Now, I listened to a whole sermon just on suicide this week as one of them. And the challenge is we get so locked into this moment, this moment. We believe with Paul in 2 Corinthians that we should not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. We are those that bring hope. I sometimes think, Paul, how did you write verse 17? 
for our light and momentary troubles. For many suffering from mental health, it doesn't feel light or momentary. And then I remember actually for Paul, the guy that was shipwrecked, that was beaten, that was stoned, that was on the open sea night and day, actually he's just got a bigger grasp of eternity than I have. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we want to be a church that cares. We want to be a church that hopes. Not everything you're diagnosed for as unique is a problem. I think the danger is we take a label and we turn it into a problem. I'm, please, I'm not belittling anyone that suffers from this, but I think my own family probably think I have tendencies of OCD. When we first got married, I left every cupboard open and my clothes everywhere. My wife followed me around the house saying, you know, tidy as we go, tidy as we go. We've been married 25 years. She now phoned me at work and said, I cannot find my shoes. And I said, well, I tidied them as I went. <laughs> they're in your wardrobe. She says, I don't know where my glasses are. I said, they're on the second shelf down beside your bed. Actually, I think driving for certainty and paying attention to detail is not a bad thing. Sometimes our weaknesses are really just exaggerated strengths. Being anxious makes you care and anticipate the needs of others. We want to be those that bring hope. I understand that simplistic hope is actually false hope, and I'm not therefore trying to bring this. But I do also want to say that God is a good, good father. And we must listen to facts rather than feelings. God said in Isaiah 41, do not fear for I am with you. That's my hope. My hope is God is with me. God is with me. God is always there. I appreciate this is a huge subject. I appreciate I probably started a conversation that many of you think, oh, golly, I wish you'd said a bit more. People don't often say that about a sermon, in which case that's a good one. But I do hope we speak more about this. I do hope that as a church we get something of God's heart, a heart of care and a heart of hope. Let's be honest, I cannot see into your hearts right now. God can. There'd be some, if you're really honest, you sat here today and you think, golly, mental health is getting to me, or it's getting to one of my immediate family right now. It's a daily struggle. We'd love to pray. Some of you, if you're really honest, my shame sometimes I think that could be me do I care enough I'd like to give a simple answer and move on life is busy and actually I think God wants to challenge us will you be radically different is church about what you get or about you coming and caring for others oh it's not oh well I've had my sugar free sermon and I've moved on oh golly God I want you to break my heart for what breaks yours. 
I'm not here to condemn. I'm just here to say, I'd love to pray. I'd love to pray that God will soften your heart. And that you think, oh yeah, this is not, oh, it's just somebody else's. But it's, it's okay, I'm on number one on the scale. Every week we offer prayer to either side now. I'd love to think that people would come and receive some prayer. I'm very aware if I stood up and said, look, you're really depressed, come forward, you'd probably think, no, not me. I'm not trying to single you out. I would love to offer prayer. What I'm going to suggest right now is that you don't have to stand. You don't have to kneel. It could be that you think, I need care. I need hope. Or actually, I'm to offer care. And I'm to offer hope. If you'd like to respond in prayer, I'd like you just to put your hands out in front of you. And I'm going to pray right now. Father, we come before you. Lord, we're aware this is a massive subject. And if I've put boots on and trodden on toes in an insensitive way, I'm sorry. God, I want to pray first and foremost for all those that are struggling. Struggling this morning. Struggling with depression or OCD or anxiety or panic. All those that have had thoughts of suicide this week. Just can't stop the tears. Just feel overwhelmed. God, we bring them to you right now. God, whose ever hand is out because actually they're caring for someone who they've said the same thing to week after week. And they just get the same response and they go back and they think, God, give me patience, give me love, help me to be a long-term friend. God, give them your strength right now, we pray. And Lord, I pray for all of us in the church where actually this is not something we've dealt with yet. But God, we do want to be a church that cares. God, keep us from being Levites and priests that just walk the other way and think, God, that's inconvenient. I pray instead that we're a church that stops and says, how can I help? What could I do? How could I reach out? That's where this is a, a massive thing and we just need your Holy Spirit. So come fill each one of us, I pray. Amen.